So basically, federalism is a bitch. Basically. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome again, everybody, to Pino and Policy, your favorite podcast for getting drunk on a Saturday afternoon with your friends. Um, joining us today is Phoebe Gresser, somebody who actually did something great with her liberal arts education and is trying to help people. And we decided, you know, be a good idea to figure out how to fix dark money in the political system. And what better time when there are issues with the federal government not actually helping people. So I'd like to welcome Phoebe Gresser. Care to say hi to everybody here? Hi, I'm Phoebe. Um, I'm the political liaison with Outlaw Dirt Mini. Yeah, okay, great. And then we also have Sophia Freuden, our editor-in-chief. How are you doing? I am doing fantastic. How are you? How's how's everyone surviving the apocalypse? Well, Hannah and I here over in Portland are enjoying some mimosas, so there's that. You got the double apocalypse. It's like snowing out there, too. It's snowing? Yeah, it is literally snowing. I mean, it just stopped a moment ago, but it was a blizzard in downtown Portland on March 14th. my God. It's okay, ridiculous. Also, like having wine at this hour, I feel like more tipsy than I should because it's like noon. Well, <laughs> yeah. And let's be honest, like this is just brunch with your friends digitally. And when we're talking about social distancing, <laughs> what better way to do it? You know, That's right, FaceTime. <laughs> right. Exactly. We're just doing the right thing. You know, exactly. I don't know about you, Hannah. <laughs> oh, I mean, yeah. I mean, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's, it's great. I mean, we got some cores ready if we're getting tired of the wine, but in general, it's, it's ready to go. I, oh, I have man. to make a confession. I yeah. decided to forgo alcohol. I'm drinking coffee. Oh, stop with your responsibility. No. It's, this is like against the rules of the podcast. I'm sorry. I can't force myself to drink at 3 p.m. Like, I just, I can't do it. We're drinking at noon. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I don't know. I just, I have a hard time with it. And plus, all I have is wine and drinking wine. And I know you guys are drinking wine also. I think a mimosa sound great. Like if I had mimosa ingredients, I would do that. Um, but uh, I sadly do not have mimosa ingredients. That's a, that was a short set on my part. So, I, but here's the deal: you guys know, at least Hannah knows how I am. Like caffeine, in some ways, me drinking caffeine is a greater vice than drinking alcohol is. So, it's true. I mean, maybe for Sophia, she does have superpowers when it comes for to Sophia. That. Yeah, I know yeah. it's not a, it's not a superpower. Not dirty money because it's too early to have one. Jesus. Um, It's going to go great. It's going to be awesome. And by the end of this, we'll be, you know, probably having to take a nap. Let's be honest. Like, that's that's the worst. Like, I I don't know, Phoebe, if you've run into this, but like when I get a little bit, you know, drunk, I guess, at like brunch, it just is terrible coming down, you know? Yeah. You're just like sad. Like, yes, it's terrible. That person. (laughs) Yeah. Like, it doesn't make any sense. Like, it's okay, like drinking in the evening where you can just sleep it off. But if you, you know, you're like four drinks in and it's like 2 p.m. and then you have all day till the evening, it is just terrible. I don't know how people were alcoholics in the 60s. I just don't get it. But we digress. Um. Right. Yeah. We're actually here for policy related reasons. Right. <laughs> so the general goal today is A, to talk to Phoebe, who is an actual expert on things, unlike us over here, and B, also discuss the um, coronavirus escalation. For those who listened to our last episode, that was a week ago when we thought this would all blow over after a pint at the Winchester. Instead, now um, it's quarantine zone across America and it's about to get all pandemic. So we're going to have to retract a couple statements, I imagine. <laughs> Yeah. So first off, Sophia, you've been chatting with Phoebe a little bit more. Um, let's let's engage her with some political discourse. How's that sound? Sounds great. Um, I, I guess I'm curious. So Phoebe, can you talk a little bit more about what you do for Outlaw Dark Marnie, like beyond just your, your position title? Sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm the political liaison with Outlaw Dirty Money. I said Dark Money earlier because it's noon and I'm drinking wine. Um But basically what I do is I engage politicians with our campaign and get them to carry our petitions. Um, It's really interesting, like working on a campaign like this, because a lot of people think like elections are the backbone of democracy, which they totally are. But things do not get on the ballot, especially with statewide measures um, and state candidates without signatures. So you need canvassing and you need all of this. So I basically try to get petitions into the hands of politicians or candidates so that they can get our signatures while they get theirs. And just getting bipartisan endorsement is really important for our campaign because we have 
from the the electorate, we have eighty eight point three percent bipartisan approval, which is pretty fucking amazing. No kidding. Um, like you don't get that ever, but um, dirty money will come in and and fight us, and we get that. So we're shooting for five hundred thousand signatures. Right now, we're halfway to our goal. We need technically three hundred and fifty thousand signatures by July second. Oh wow! Um, and yeah, because it is a constitutional amendment, so it's a big deal. But it's, um, I mean, even running for office, you need. If you're running for a statewide position, you need 15,000 signatures. And that's a lot of signatures, um, especially because people hate canvassers, which sucks. I wish people didn't hate canvassers because it's really, really, really important. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I will admit I'm usually the one who goes, sorry, I have my AirPods in. I don't want to yeah. talk. I'm sure you're fighting the good fight. No, yeah. and I, I totally get it. And like, thank God my position isn't actually canvassing, but <laughs> like I – I did that in the past before too. And then I realized like there are these initiatives that are so important. And also there are these politicians who I just think that things should be on the ballot. Obviously we shouldn't have like a cluster of weird, you know, like alt-right things on the ballot, but things should, should be able to get on the ballot. And like, so that's what we're really faced with right now is um, so our elected officials in Arizona, they're, um, Deadline is April 6th and that right now is like crunch time. So most of them declare their candidacy uh, or in like late last year, early this year. So you think, and this time in Arizona right now is like perfect weather, perfect time for like, there are festivals, there's spring training, there's um, a bunch of music thingies, concerts, I guess they're called. Um, <laughs> thingies, yes, yes, those festivals. That is the technical term is music thingy. <laughs> music thingy. But but those are no longer happening. And like there are no gatherings happening. And with campaigning and um anything that requires petitions uh to requires signatures to get on the ballot, it's because all of these campaigns are like really expensive. Which people don't really think about. Like, I didn't really think about that a lot until I was joining it. But, like, signatures cost money because you have to pay people to, like, coordinate volunteers. And you have to pay people to, like, do what I do. And now what do we do? Because going door to door is the most inefficient way <laughs> to get signatures, unfortunately. Well, yeah. Yeah. And with it- and, and so that's my, my one of my questions for you is considering all the quote unquote social distancing going on because right. we don't want to like catch the beer virus or at least mm-hmm. spread it to the most vulnerable. How does that affect like, I mean, your job? I mean, it can't be good. It's not great, <laughs> but it it's honestly, it's like scary more than anything because like I don't have a solution, but I do know that it's an issue that deadlines haven't changed for signatures. I know that in Louisiana, they're um, postponing their presidential preference election, which is good. And in Arizona, they, they're they doing, like, all mail-in ballots, which is good. Oh, that's great. Of, but also, like, where do we find registered voters to get signatures to get on the ballot? You know? Yeah. Um, and I think it's possible. I just think that it's something that, like, has not been addressed and needs to be Um also, we all know that a majority of the elect- the the active electorate is older. Older yeah. people are also the people who are most vulnerable to die from COVID nineteen. So has there has there been uh, much talk about doing something online, given we, that everyone's going remote for yeah, more we, people? You can't do petitions online. Are you serious? Uh, yeah, well, I mean I get it, but still, uh, yeah. So that like and we actually need like we need like a a valid legible signature um and we have to keep in mind too that like the energy companies will challenge everything every single signature they literally hire a team of attorneys to go through every signature which is like oh my god what a bummer of a law school career to seriously breathe (laughs) yo sophia um i heard you were trying to say something what's 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 going on here yeah, so I know you guys, you, Phoebe just said that we can't do electronic signatures. And obviously, there are so many aspects of Corona that like we can't do XYZ online. But I think this like presents a very special opportunity in our society for us to take a hard look at like how we interact with one another, especially in times like this. And it also like, 
brings in parts of the conversation that tend to get neglected, such as like ableistic parts of politics. Like what if you can't mm-hmm. physically sign, you know? Yeah. So like one like solution that I would like offer as like a policy maker, policymaker, hypothetically, uh, full disclosure, I am not a policymaker. I'm a grad student. Um, would you yet. Or incorporate some kind of like secure online system, either using blockchain or something else to allow people well, to I sign. Did my online. So what? it's possible. I just did my census online. So no shit. it's possible. Yeah. Huh. Well, I got the like letter from the government. I didn't just like. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I got that letter the other day. I should probably yeah. fill it out, huh? <laughs> but I didn't get a letter. You don't exist, Hannah. That's why. The government doesn't realize <laughs> you. Oh, I think you're totally right. And I think that that's actually so much better for honest. I'm going to sound really fucking annoying right now, but like it's better for democracy because like people are engaging more online than they are in person. And like, we already have a healthy level of social distancing since we have AirPods and iPhones. Yeah, it's kind of great. At least among the, you know, the millennials and those Zoomers. Yeah, I don't like to talk to anyone. Uh, yeah, it sucks. <laughs> Except for us, obviously. Yeah, obviously. go team. I don't know how you would go about making that um, happen, but... Well, yeah, particularly because the last time, like, the, the latest, like, dry run for democracy via the internet in the uh, Iowa caucus kind yeah, of failed catastrophically. <laughs> Are you kidding? That was that was that was the model. <laughs> yeah, obviously. No, that's one of the things I'm kind of worried about. Is you have like a slapdash tech solution that they spent like two months on, and that becomes the uh, you know proof positive of a techie solution. When really, it's just a poor implementation. You spend a couple of years preparing for this. You put some real money behind it. There's no reason why you can't vote via your phones, like as American Idol. Just use blockchain or whatever. But Do you, you know, really think so I I really get worried about because. Um, things can be hacked quite easily. I mean, yes. So that's, you know, um, for those who may or may not be aware, my, my prior career before I entered another world of careers um, was working in like cybersecurity and fraud prevention. And one of the things that's totally true is that pretty much everybody's compromised at this point. If the Ruskies or some hacker hanging out in Starbucks wants to steal your information, it's really cheap. Last time I checked, like a credit card's worth like about a quarter, like a single quarter, Social security numbers, a couple bucks to 10 bucks, depending on how old you are. The older, the more expensive because you're worth more. Sorry, young people. I mean, it's it's not that hard to pull off. Um, so, but that's really why when I mentioned like, yeah, yeah. But when I mentioned like the blockchain thing, if there's a way to verify who somebody is, keep it essentially public and be able to vote single time using like your social or something like that, maybe. Well, and isn't the thing about blockchain, uh, isn't the good thing that it's open source and anybody can verify it of course the problem with it though is we have anonymous voting for a reason so that you know if you vote for trump no one's gonna like you know crucify Mm. you and Mm -hmm. yeah and so the problem with blockchain is part of what makes it secure is that anybody who edits the ledger quote unquote you'll know if they do so it's basically a panopticon Mm -hmm. but it doesn't exactly work for you know voting but i'm sure there's some like tech whiz out in like you know san jose who's figured it out but i I think Biometrics would be maybe an answer for keeping pr- votes private because you want to keep votes private in a functional democracy, right? So you would have to use biometric voting for that kind of thing, I think, to ensure that your vote is actually who you say it's from. But so, sure. like, but also, like, you don't have to necessarily check a public ledger for it. Whereas for signing petitions and things like that, I think blockchain or some other form of like public secure ledger would would do good. You know, um, actually, it's funny you mentioned that. I wonder. It, say we did have a secure form of online voting, you know, vote now with your phones, you get an Instagram ping and you just vote, right? <laughs> how that would have changed the 2020 primary. I mean, we, we've all saw how um, Bernie went from being front runner to dead in two weeks, um, in part because, quote unquote, the millennials and Zoomers didn't show up. If, if you know, you got a, a tweet or a Snapchat about it and you could just vote securely and, you know, efficiently... Would we have beaten the boomers? Who's to say? I don't know, but it would definitely change things a lot. I mean, yeah, I agree. Like we we live in a fundamentally different world than the like write a letter to your friend. It's like send them a snap, you know. Well, and that's the other thing. Like side note, um, generational use of technology, even among the young people. Like I remember Snapchat in college a little bit, but I've noticed most millennials I work with and interact with all use Instagram, but those. Zoomers just use Snapchat almost exclusively. I, what, I don't know if you've what seen What is a Zoomer, like that. may I ask? Um, like a Gen that's Z? That's Drake's term for Zillennials. And by that, I mean Generation Z people. 
So when were they born? <laughs> There's some uh, like, contention. Depends on where you cut it off. Sophia, you know this, right? Yeah. So it really depends on who you ask. And I have some cusper friends who get really offended if you call them Gen Z. Because even even some people consider like the year – so I was born in 1995. Um, some people consider that to be like a cutoff year and like have called me a Gen Z. And like, sure, if you want to label me that, that's fine. But like my personal experiences are such that I'm like very much in the millennial category. So it's technically anyone born – according to Pew Research, it's anyone born in 1997 or later. Okay. And I'm not sure when the end cutoff for that is. It's probably somewhat recently. Like, I don't think people being born in, in the year 2020 are probably count as Gen Z. They're probably a new genera- generation. Um, sure. But I, I'm, not, I'm not really sure. It's probably roughly people betor- between, born between, like, let's say, like, 1997 and, like, 2015. Okay, sure. so they're the TikTok generation. Yes. Yes, 100%. Yes. The, like you're you know you're a millennial or at least a really young one, I guess, if you don't even know how TikTok works. Like that's the first time I felt legitimately old. Same. <laughs> Dude, I'm like what the hell is this thing? It's I mean, I realize it's a Chinese spyware system, but why are all the young people into it? <laughs> but other than that, <laughs> why do you care? Yeah, um, I know, right? But yeah, so I guess also like backpacking off of that is, is I am worried about uh, there's no way to tell how long this, this pandemic is going to last, especially the epidemic in the United States, considering that we have like an absolute chaotic lack of response. uh, It's terrifying and it could last a really long time because it'll spread from people from city to city, like major airport areas to, you know, more rural areas than like it'll spread that way. So it could really like last for quite a while. Um, and we won't yeah. have a vaccine for a really long time, obviously, but um, I'm terrified for the 2020 elections as well because of the way that misinformation is being spread. Yeah. Um, I Sophia, mean, you and I talked about this a little bit, right? Yeah. 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 Let's, let's see what y'all have to say there. So, do you mean like like disinformation or do you mean like just like M- misinformation which that is politically charged regarding the coronavirus? Yeah. So it's a little bit tricky. So there's obviously a lot of I would say there's probably more, well honestly, I'm really curious to see and it really depends on what country you're talking about. So misinformation, there's going to be a lot of people just kind of like repeating facts that aren't necessarily true. Like I've seen a lot of discussions of like, oh, does hand sanitizer actually kill viruses? Um, and some people will say like flat out no. Some people will say it depends. Some people say it's yes. And and the, the true answer as far as I can tell is like it depends on what the active depends, ingredient yeah. in your hand sanitizer is. So that's like oh, one great. example of like potential misinformation spreading, right? Like people just saying things and they're not entirely sure if they're real or they're just kind of spreading urban legends without realizing it. The, de- the definition of misinformation is spreading untrue information uh, unknowingly and or without the intent of harming someone, you know? So well, like well, we can call it when it's like – when, it, when the source of it is like with the intent of harm, because if the source is disinformation, that's one thing, you know, um, that means that because the, the if the per- person who created that news story or that meme or whatever is intentionally creating a false narrative with the intent to harm or like uh, sow confusion, that's disinformation. And again, when I earlier when I said it depended on the country, there's a lot of disinformation coming from China. And even some from Russia about this disease. So like in China, they're trying to twist the narrative so such that it's like, oh, well, the virus didn't actually even originate in China. Like it's not a Chinese virus. Um, and one narrative that's being spread both in China and in Russia is, oh, this is something that the West created. Like Bill Gates like funded this the creation of this virus. Um which is like so bizarre and, but like so on brand for specifically Russian disinformation. I'm, I'm so unsurprised by that. So it just like kind of depends. Domestically in the United States, I worry about like, for example, the president, Trump, he came on the TV, I think yesterday and said that Google was creating a website to see if like, basically to like diagnose your symptoms via like online testing. Yeah. Yeah, then Google came out and said, like, no, we're not developing anything like that. We don't know why the president said that. You know, like, I worry about the president just, like, coming up with random shit, basically. Well, and like, Would that fall under in- misinformation or disinformation? Because I I always question the intent of the president in 
if you want to don the plague mask and like hazmat suit, you would need to to delve into his psyche and understand any of his motives. <laughs> you are more than welcome to do that. I honestly don't want to know what it's like inside Donald Trump's brain. So the, yeah. the, the short answer to your question, Hannah, is I don't know. I think a good portion of it is disinformation, but I, I genuinely believe that he believes a lot of the nonsense that he spews, you know? Huh. Well, that's lovely, I guess. Great. But I'm terrified I mean, for turnout. Um, yes. Younger people are... So clearly we're all on board with the, the whole, like, this is not going to end soon, and it's probably going to get worse because our president is a train wreck but and this entire administration is a train wreck but uh what do we do you know like come november um well hmm, here in november is it gonna die out in the summer and that's like not something you can tell but also what are you voting on in november those are initiatives and candidates that require signatures that need to be gathered now that can't be and so it's like what is gonna happen I don't know. I think that there's an interesting dynamic because a lot of Trump supporters are are older. Yeah. Um, and so they're more likely to like self-quarantine. Well, it depends if they're watching Fox News or CNBC. That's exactly right. Yeah. Well, and so that's actually a really good thing. I mean, Hannah, what do you think? Like- well, I had a question for Phoebe. Um, if, any, if there were anyone to have the authority to make the decision to implement some sort of online or blockchain voting mechanism who 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 would it be like whose decision would that be ultimately um i can't answer that with like 100 percent of confidence but it would come down to the secretary of state but i think it would be an electoral process first so you would also need another ballot initiative (laughs) great so it's a state by state so okay gotcha all right you know here's something else i was Potentially, they they could do it nationwide. I don't think they would ever. No, it wouldn't really benefit. I'm never saying ever again. But I mean, yeah. um, You know, here's something I I wanted to toss out for folks to think about for a sec. So, you know, I've been doing a lot of research on Corona. I think as all of us have since uh, since the past couple weeks and how quickly things have changed. Uh, One of the things uh, I originally thought would be kind of like the flu; it dies down during the summer, so on and so forth. Um, a lot of what I'm reading says probably not. Um, it, it's so, and it's 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 a part of just like how long the incubation period works with Corona. It can last longer. Flu hits hard and fast, and once it hits summertime, people actually social distance more naturally. They move. Yeah, I know that's kind of weird, but basically during the winter, people are in closer quarters usually, which is a better vector. Um, by the time summer hits, people are less often around. Plus, the flu virus is apparently more susceptible to heat than uh, coronaviruses tend to be. This is part of the reason why MERS, which is uh, a coronavirus that's known in the Middle East, comes from camels, uh, spreads just fine in a place that's notably pretty hot. Um, So one of my worries is, like yours, is that it'll last through to November, but who does that really affect? So for young folks, there's been, as far as I'm aware, um, nobody under 19 who's died in America or most Western states, um, and by that I mean nation states, um, it mainly affects older folks. So by the time the election comes around, and say this has been percolating for a while, who are the people most likely to avoid the ballot or going to the polls might more likely be older people than younger people. And But of course, not that young people actually turn out. So it could kind of go both ways. Exactly. That's that's my thought exactly. Um, because realistically, there's only a path forward for Joe Biden in the Democratic primary. Uh, yeah. And he is not doing well with younger voters at all. Um, Yay. <laughs> neither of the two potential presidential candidates are doing well with younger voters. Phoebe, are you erasing Tulsi Gabbard? Oh, my bad. <laughs> my girl hey. Tulsi. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, that phrase, you said it, and it just kind of made me gag a little bit. I hey, could, could you repeat that for you? us in the studio audience? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it could go. It's a toss-up, and it's it's... Basically, I don't know what it's going to do for our presidential election at all. I know that our state elections are pretty fucked. 
especially because Secretary of State is not moving anything, but the governor is moving everything. Um, hmm. And that's just Arizona. I can only speak to Arizona, but I know that that's happening across the country. But I also think that it's just straight up bad for democracy if you have an entire population who has a vested interest in this election who is unable to vote because we don't have mechanisms in place to deal with something like a pandemic. Right. At that point, is it really like a fairly elected individual? Ugh. Well, you know, I was actually thinking about this last night and I was up a little bit too late reading about weird instances of American elections where bad things were going on. And the funny thing is, is that there's some worries on the leftist side of things that like Trump will try and postpone the election or something crazy like that. First of all, he doesn't have the power to do that. I, um, yeah, and but I get that that's a concern, but I also like I see the merit in that in a way. I guess like, because of the groundwork, but but, but it's the, bad. It's really bad. It's bad. And my my counterpoint to this is uh, not to be that guy, but Abraham Lincoln had an election in 1864 while the South was like ten miles away from Washington D.C. So you know, if you're in the middle of a civil war and you can still have an election, I don't see why we couldn't have one during the beer virus. Personally, he also suspended the writ of habeas corpus, so I don't know if he's. That's that also true. He was uh, known as a touch of a tyrant. I mean, sick temper tyrannus, I guess, but still. I, yeah, I I think even just the postponement of the um, the primary in sorry, what state was it? Lu- Louisiana. Yeah, uh, yeah, in Louisiana, um, opens bad presidential doors for uh going forward with this because if louisiana does it who else is going to do it and that seems like a slippery slope yeah what's going on in louisiana they postponed their primary really yeah Yeah. for uh until next month and potentially june yeah i mean firstly all states should probably just have mail-in ballots because of um accessibility reasons but that's besides the point but what is to the point is like so arizona is now doing that which is chill, great, but that doesn't do anything to counter the fact that we can't sign petitions online when there is an epidemic that is contained. Lovely. Yeah, and I think that, that like, Sophia made a lot of really good points about that. Like, that needs to be talked about. Hannah, why do you think it's a bad press? I'm, like, kind of curious to hear more. I do- you're, you're still in law school. I'm dropping. <laughs> <laughs> I just, it seems like, when decisions like that are made, and this is more political, of course, than it is legal, at least from what I am aware of. I haven't researched it in depth, but um, administrations, even state administrations, tend to follow cues of others. Um, and when one does something, there's a justification for it. They make that justification, and then others can rely on that justification to show why it's reasonable to, to take the same step. And if all of the states that are left to have a primary were to follow Louisiana's lead, that would almost guarantee a postponement of the 2020 elections, Um, which then going forward from there, what other crises would be then reasonable grounds to postpone elections? And how is that going to change? The suspension of the writ of habeas corpus. Right. And how that was present. Yeah, that's scary. Yeah. It's scary, but it's, I think, like, one of the big takeaways is that, like, we simply do not have the infrastructure to to handle democracy in crisis. Which is something that is worth reflecting on as a society right now. (laughs) We don't handle these kinds of uh, crises often, but, uh, I mean, part of the reason we've instituted our democracy the way it is in the first place is so that we can handle stuff as it as it as it goes on and apparently we've slipped in the area of uh like health crises like widespread health crises so it's it's weird isn't it i mean i was reading an article this morning in the atlantic about how it's describing the american response is akin to those of a failed state and i don't know if i really buy that per se but it is interesting how it's private businesses and state governments that have been making the most like responses, not um, the federal government. Like, it's weird, well, isn't it? Well, okay. Can I get all law schooly on you for a second? Yes, please. <laughs> so the federal government 
um, technically doesn't have as many powers as the state government under the Constitution. The federal government can't just tell the states or individuals to do stuff whenever they want to. There's a lot of like, <laughs> there's a lot of things that have to to be there in order for them to be able to do that. Uh, also, like the Commerce Clause, you know, for example. Um, so to have the federal government instituting bans and things like that is that's I think it's kind of like special. Uh, it's a special scenario situation. Huh. Um, generally, so all of the powers that exist, unless it's listed in the Constitution as a power reserved for the federal government, then it's assumed that that's the, a power of the state. Does so, that make sense? So basically, federalism is a bitch. Basically. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's interesting. Like, I always thought, like, growing up and stuff, uh, before I got to law school, I thought that the federal government was at the top of the pyramid as far as how much power there was. And then the states, and then the cities, you know, kind of thing. Um, the states are actually... They have huh. more power. I mean, the Constitution starts with we the people. It's the people that are supposed to have the power. Wow. Uh, <laughs> but Man. Um, but yeah, so I was reading earlier also. Um, and in then the Citizens United. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Um, but I was reading it earlier. There, there is a, um, this was in a Washington Post article. Um, I, I noticed just one line that said uh, there is a, a World War II era power that allows the federal government to take action to quarantine individuals. And I was like, oh, wait, that sounds kind of strange, knowing that uh, the federal government can't tell an individual what to do. So I looked it up, and it turns out it's uh, 42 U.S. Code, I think Section 264, Regulations to Control Communicable Diseases. Nice. And um, there you go. I haven't read the entire thing yet, <laughs> but um, uh, it sounds like that might be the authority on under which the federal government may be able to to huh. effectively um, uh, decide. Like, can I add individuals? Uh huh. So I understand that they don't. I mean, they technically do because they have like Japanese internment as precedent, which they overturned. But who fucking knows? So any like healthcare systems. There's no national ties. Like, why am I paying taxes? <laughs> well, this gets into a whole lot of like, like complicated stuff. Um, and but it, I'd like it also should to come this. from the top in some way, correct? It should, yeah, and it does. And so, like one of the um, one of the things in the Constitution, things <laughs> I think it would be called an amendment uh, in the Constitution that uh, allows the federal government to regulate something like that is um, the commerce clause, which whether or not an industry or whatever it is that Congress is trying to regulate um, has a substantial effect on interstate commerce um, will determine whether or not they can regulate it because the constitution gives the federal government power to regulate interstate commerce. Also, keep in mind, like, I am a, a first-year law student and could you not consider, an attorney. Um, but, I mean, like, couldn't you consider, like, a, a like communicable disease in interstate commerce in a way? Because I certainly think so. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> so that might be one basis under which they can justify uh, enacting powers, you know, or... Well, considering the current DOJ is very much all about the uh, unitary executive theory, I'm sure they could stretch it just fine. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's true. I mean, yeah. no, it is. I mean, <laughs> like, I don't know in Oregon because y'all are pretty exposed. Oh, uh, yeah, we're a hot spot. <laughs> you're hot as hell. Um, Arizona, we have five, I think five, no, 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 100 tests have been conducted in Arizona. In total? In total. Uh, that was information from yesterday. I, I'm going to Google it right now. But isn't that terrifying? Because we also have 17 Arizonans. Sorry, I'm so focused on Arizona. It's just my job. Um, All right. Hey, we got to take Arizonans it. were on the cruise ship. Oh. Oh, great. Ooh. The Diamond Princess or? Yes, ma'am. <laughs> oh, nice. Dude, I can't uh, wait till there's a really cool, like, HBO miniseries about surviving the Diamond Princess. I'm in. Oh, my God. I didn't even think about that. 
I will Dude, binge right? it so quickly. <laughs> Wouldn't it be great? Oh my god! I don't think like, it would just be of... the Diamond Princess. I think it would be like the Diamond Princess and the White House and China. Dude, you know, one, another thing to think about is, so as a, what you might call a nerd, I played a lot of video games in my time and walking around this morning yeah. in Portland, getting my morning coffee and picking up some uh, supplies for mimosas, I noticed how much it felt like one of those pandemic video games where there's like nobody in the streets, man. It's about, you're about to fight like some zombies or something. Well, it was also it's- snowing in Portland and that will do it. Yeah, I know. It was kind of great. There's more than an inch and a half of snow at my house, but I have an interesting <laughs> uh, thing to say about that. Um, I heard this morning on, um, I think it was the NBC iHeart Radio. I don't, I don't know. It was on the radio. Sure. Anyway, um, in Italy, currently, um, there's been a like huge increase in demand for, uh, of course, online access and stuff, and I don't know bandwidth as it were. Sure. Uh, specifically from the number of people that are playing Fortnite right now. Dude, great for video games. <laughs> like, what happens when people go into to quarantine or isolation? They play Fortnite, apparently. I also heard that Pornhub is giving free Pornhub premium to all Italian citizens. So, yeah, yeah there's that too. For oh the hey, you gotta isolate yourself. It's not like you can go, can go on a Tinder date, I guess. You yeah. know, if you're you gotta fulfill a need. Like, By the people for the people, baby. <laughs> I got yeah, a notification. Exactly. He knows what's up. All right. Hell I yeah. got a notification from Steam that the item on my li- wish list is on sale today. Oh, which 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 item is that, Sophia? Civ six. Oh, dude! I think Drew just bought that. Actually, I mean, I everybody's playing video games. I haven't bothered with it yet, but I did toy with the idea of dusting off my old copy of EU four uh, just to oh, just to mess around with there. it, but. Yeah, I was thinking about playing some Halo this weekend because it just came out on Steam. That or just playing some WoW Classic. I mean, that's kind of the best part about uh, this quarantine is it gives me so much more excuse to be introverted. Like, I was going to run a 5K tomorrow and it got canceled. I'm like, great. I don't have to work out in the morning. I can just play video games or just be hungover. It's awesome. I don't know about you all. Um, anyways, <laughs> back back on uh, topic. Um <laughs> yeah, Jesus Christ. Uh, hey, this is what happens when you know you're having a couple of mimosas with your friends on a you know Saturday at afternoon. Noon. At noon. At noon. Hey, hey, um, it is 3:49 p.m. here in Boston. This you're the you're only a nice one who has any form of excuse to be drinking. <laughs> <laughs> he gets it. Like I, oh, you know, and it's so bad here at Harvard. Oh my goodness! This week, I was like joking with some of my friends, just like. Oh man, I just like dread opening my email inbox every day now. And like, sure enough, like day after day, especially like Thursday or Friday, I was just getting slammed with email after email being like, we're going to relocate you on campus. Oh, and the libraries are like basically shutting down, say for like skeletal Good, services. Fucking gross. Well, so many germs I mean, in libraries. the libraries at Harvard, at least the ones that I go to are fairly nice. Like they do clean That's them. That's because they like, don't let in the unwashed masses. Let's be honest. Okay, but there are germs. Everywhere. There are germs. There are germs. Dude. The thing about they, the, the library, sorry, they've shut down the the public libraries in uh, in our area. Huh. Oh, I don't doubt that. The public libraries in in Portland actually do get quite a bit of use. Well, okay. So here's something I, I don't really understand from a from an epidemiological perspective. Considering that young people are the least at risk at this, and also that young people rely on you know their education and the rest. Kicking kids out of their colleges and sending them home seems kind of counterproductive because, wait a second, kids and young folk are carriers for this disease because we tend not to get sick that much. And if we do get sick from it, it's very mild. You, you take them from a concentrated area where they're not really harming anybody. You send them home to their parents who are more likely to get sick because they're boomers. You're essentially spreading the disease more. And oh, by the way, for international students or poorer students, it's not like they just necessarily have a home to fly back to. Yeah. To me, it seems like a you know a myopic response at best. This yeah. is where this is where I put on my I used to be a paralegal hat, and both Hannah and Phoebe I think can back me up on this. They don't want someone to die or get terribly ill on campus because then they open themselves up not just to a lawsuit but a series of class action lawsuits. So they don't right. care if they spread the disease by sending people home. They're just minimizing their own risk. For, the power for of a litigious society, folks. God. But it does, I mean, it does seem, yeah, counterproductive. I yeah. Think, right? But, I mean, that's that's the law, baby. 
I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean that, that's the thing that's really revealing. Yeah. Has this ever happened in history before where kids of like universities have shuttered and sent so everybody home? Spanish I can speak school? to. Yeah, I can speak to Harvard's history actually on this. The last time that we closed our campus like this was during World War II. Huh. And well, and I looked up Spanish flu too. Yeah, I looked up the the potential death rates that we'd have um, as a result of this virus. So approximately, I think it was six hundred and twenty five thousand Americans lost their lives during World War II. If this disease kills a moderate amount of just baby boomers, like people ages sixty and over, um we could lose up to 7 million people. And again, that's like a moderate estimate. So this would be like the deadliest thing to ever occur on U.S. soil in modern American history. Um, like 7 ever. million? But I Off think it's also important that we are estimating right now the r naught of this virus. Um, and it's 2.2, I think. Um, but we can't. you can't know the r naught or the fatality rate until after the epidemic has... Yeah, seen, these, these are again our... Like I shouldn't, I should qualify what I'm saying. I have one, I am not an epidemiologist and two, I'm just doing sort of napkin math based off of the estimates that I have from the World Health Organization and not even using, by the way, not even using their 3.4 death rate because I think that is a little bit high. Um, But just like saying like, okay, roughly like, let's say, um, because I think it's up to 20% of people ages 60 and over die if they could. Yeah, low numbers were in the the, like 1.8 millions, I think. Jesus. So, but yeah, like makes nine eleven look cute. Oh no! Oh yeah! Like it's just it's oh it's terrible. You're no, it does. It does. Like no, think about this for a sec, right? The societal ramifications of a disease like this compared it, it really makes like the early two thousands like coming out of the nineteen nineties when everything was hunky dory and we beat the Soviet Union or whatever, and we freak out because like terrorists like blow up a and corporate like, building and kill yes, three thousand like, people. Belts. I mean, I don't know, like, okay, so I, like, personally know people who, like, have lost, like, their parents and stuff in 9-11, like, I don't want to doubt. I was like, from Corona? (laughs) No, no, and in 9-11, like, I personally know people who, like, lost loved ones. That's terrible. Yeah, so I don't want to downplay that. Like, I would say it's fundamentally different because an act of foreign aggression is, like, it's, like, intentionally harming someone, right? Oh, but, Sophia, you don't realize this is a, this is engineered in a Chinese lab somewhere to kill Americans, obviously. You're canceled. You are canceled. canceled. That's sarcastic for anybody listening. I don't actually believe that. (laughs) Okay, but back to my point, if I may, um, it's like... I would say there's a difference between intentionally murdering four to 5,000 Americans on U.S. soil and a pandemic spreading because China lacks good meat regulations. Which is kind of funny when you think about it. Right. It's it like is, I, I think it, it also goes back to your conversation last week about the economy where like this is this is an external threat to the economy as opposed to like an internal disruption where we yeah. have 2008. And, and so it's like harder to deal with because we don't have internal solutions for an external threat. And that's a problem. <laughs> well, you know, what's wild is I actually ran into an economist this morning while I was having, sipping my cappuccino and prepping. That was the most Portland thing I've ever heard. I know. It's pretty aggressive. I got in a really fun conversation with the guy. Um, but one of the things we were talking about is when it comes to um, solving this crisis, the issues that for like in the previous one in 2008, it was an endogenous problem and it really ripped apart like the financial sector. And then eventually it trickled down to the average everyday American and then it blew apart. You can look at the grass on this. Wild. What's wild about this one is that it's actually the highly educated and richer portions of society. So the tech workers, the the, the financiers of rest who are actually more insulated this time around. It's instead the average American who, you know, maybe maybe you're a. a work at a grocery store or your barista or you're an event coordinator or whatever, that these small businesses that rely on foot traffic and people gathering are the ones that are most hard hit. And newsflash. I work in campus. Yeah, yeah, or canvassers or whatever. I don't canvass, but I work in campaigns. Well, yeah, or campaigns or whatever is that what makes this more dangerous is while – the real drivers of the economy are the middle class and people, you know, who – who can't just work remote for months on end. It's the people who are actually spending in the economy and making things roll. And the thing but is, you aren't salaried. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. I don't know. It's, we could go on for ages, but 
Um, we're starting to get to the top of the hour here. So this is the section of every Pinot and policy we should enter. It's called the arbitration period. <laughs> I'm surrounded by lawyers. Um, no, no, you're not. Well, I am not a lawyer. I am also not a lawyer. I do not even have a law degree uh, or even a one-year degree. <laughs> Okay, well, you know what? I'm surrounded by legalish people. Um, I mean, who needs credentials? I mean, most people drop out of college and go become like entrepreneurs or something, right? That's that's the dream. Um, no, but we go around, we say, you know, what do we think is going to happen? And since we've had a couple drinks already, it makes the answers a little bit more fun and spicy. So let's uh, start with Hannah. Uh, what do you think is going to spin out? Well, I think we're all going to sit through this um, feeling kind of bored and uh, missing our friends and that kind of thing. Um, I think this has been an unprecedented situation already. I think it's going to continue to be that. I think uh, at least I hope that this is a moment in history where us as a collective, (laughs) I mean, I guess humanity in general, takes a time to sit down and reflect and realize that we have some problems to solve and that maybe good changes will come from this in the end because there will be an afterward. Somehow. Um, somehow. It might be a while, but there will be an afterward. And uh, whether it whether it's how we conduct our elections and voting or just generally how we handle a, a large number of people needing care or what, whatever it may be. Um, hopefully we, we learn a lesson. This would be the hard way, learning a, a lesson the hard way. But yeah. hopefully a lesson will be learned. Hard times make good men, I guess. Um, Phoebe, what do you think? So yeah, I, I hope that we are overreacting like the swine flu, which wasn't an overreaction. It was the proper reaction, which is why everyone thought it was an overreaction, but whatever. Huh. Um, I hope that we make, yeah, I, I really, really agree with Hannah. I really hope that we have this as a lesson and see that we need reforms to our electoral system so that we can have a pandemic or epidemic happen and still have a healthy democracy. Yeah, hmm. I think that's all. Yeah, Sophia, what do you think? Oh, man. Um, I mean, I don't think my... So the the response that I gave in the last episode that we had about this, which was also the last episode of, of Pinot and Policy, was kind of eh. I'm, I'm changing it from eh to slight concern just because yeah. I do worry this is going to be a pretty gnarly disease. Like even if like given the most conservative estimates that we have available, right, which could totally like be, be wrong, be off the mark, whatever else. I do think that this is going to be a pretty deadly event in terms of of U.S. history and, and global history. I do think we're going to feel a lot of cultural, technological, economic impact from this. I think the economic impact will be fairly short-lived, but I think the cultural and especially like how we, you know, like social and technological impact will be pretty substantial. Like it'll be really curious to s- compare the the pre and post Corona worlds. I don't think they're going to yeah. be identical, you know? Um yeah. And I think it'll also will it'll make make us question a lot of our social hierarchies in terms of like the gerontocracy that we live in, um, in terms of yeah like how we run elections, how we interact with one another, how we go about our day to day lives, um, how we think about the service industry and and other people who like rely on physical interactions and, and physical sales of goods because we still wait like we have this narrative of like oh like big box stores are like going out of business whatever but the service industry is alive and well and like a lot of people like a lot of businesses right now in Portland and Boston or whatever are suffering because their sales are down you know like hmm. I think I'm not sure what the changes will be but I think they will be there and I will also end my little bit by saying I'm so tired of living in interesting times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was just Amen. thinking about that. Um, you know, that that supposed Chinese curse that JFK came up with in a speech that actually is not a curse. I found out about that. You know, may we always live in interesting times, you know. But I mean my my prognostication here is I don't think there's a fundamental flaw with the economy in the sense that like there was a like the, the subprime mortgage crisis. This is an exogenous shock that in a year or so we'll recover from. However, it does reveal the inherent weaknesses of a globalized society. This is not to say that we all need to be you know, growing, um, having a farm of like rice and like corn and whatever in our backyard. But it shows that in a highly globalized economy where everything's quote unquote efficient, like all the economists 
say, you know, long supply chains, everything's super efficient, comparative advantage, actually is super duper duper brittle. And that you have like when 80% of your like generic prescription drugs and your healthcare devices and whatever come out of like one plant in China and that blows apart, then the whole system falls apart. And I think one of the things we should address as a society after this is A, a lot of our old ways of doing things, showing up to the office every day, so on and so forth, are probably outmoded. But also we should consider, ironically, a bit more domestic industry and the rest, not because of some like America first sort of craziness, but out of a sheer idea that having an overly globalized world makes you more fragile to exogenous shocks. That, yeah, it might be a touch more efficient to, you know, uh, pay slave labor to people in Indonesia to get your, you know, masks. Maybe we should pay a higher price to build them here just in the case that, you know, when there is a pandemic or a tsunami or whatever else, we don't have entire supply chains fall apart Wait, and people die as a result. Drake, are you saying make America great again? Ew. <laughs> oh, God. God. Don't, don't do I this. I hope what you're actually saying is diversification. <laughs> yes, that is what I'm trying to say is that. It is, but, it is but highly, like, although it's more efficient to, you know, over-specialize, right, to have one type of, say, corn that's super duper productive and one place where you get all of your, you know, masks and whatever else that may be on a mathematical level efficient. And trust me, there's many economists who say it is. You totally listen to the same NPR story as me about mask production. No, I did not, but now I want to listen to it. Um, but anyways, the point is diversification. We're going to have to change stuff. And hey, maybe free healthcare after all this, you know? <laughs> no, th- think about this. Like if only Bernie Sanders was the nominee now, right? Um, I digress. Anyways, thank you so much, Phoebe, for joining us and being a guest and giving us an idea of how it affects political organizing and making a difference in November. Coronavirus doesn't just hurt your uh, Coachella plans. It also hurts your chance <laughs> to fight dark money in politics so thank you for joining us i also would like to thank hannah so much thank you so much Uh, i'd love to have you on again um also like to thank hannah and sophia for joining us as always and of course steph for listening to our um buzzed conversations and editing out the worst parts um can't wait to uh have yet another episode with you all usually we're here in a fortnight but this was a bit of a double hitter and we're doing it on a weekly basis from that case um anyways you can follow us on pretty much any social media platform you can find at arbiter.org. All right, great. Well, thank you so much, and I'll see you guys next week.